You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Amber Van Schooneveld. She is the Senior Marketing Director at the Exodus Road. Amber, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the Exodus Road and and maybe give a summary of your past experience, how you got here? Yeah. So the Exodus Road is a nonprofit that fights human trafficking. Um, They do that by partnering with law enforcement um, to fight human trafficking crime. Um, They also help empower survivors with aftercare. um, And they also do a lot of education to help people just learn more about the issue and how they can prevent it. Awesome. And where are they primarily, where are you guys primarily focused, like location-wise? Sure. We're an international organization, um, and we work in six different countries. So although we're based in Colorado Springs, Colorado, we work in Thailand, um, India, the Philippines, um, Brazil, and one other undisclosed country for security purposes. Oh, interesting. And are you guys partnering with other organizations that do similar work? Yeah, you know, in a lot of the aftercare spaces, we work with other organizations. A lot of the bulk of our work does focus on investigating human trafficking crime. So a lot of times we're um, partnering with aftercare programs, um, as well as partnering with other organizations that help raise awareness on the issue. Awesome. So does a lot of that partnership happen like within country with national partners? Yes. And then we also, I should say, a huge... Um, group that we partner with is just law enforcement. Um, So we do focus on really equipping law enforcement. We're partnering with them so that they um, can investigate and respond to tips on human trafficking well, because often um, law enforcement is overwhelmed and um, having that extra outside support makes a huge difference um, when it comes to both investigations as well as um, training and equipment. Mm. Interesting. And then maybe share some of your past experience, how, how you landed this role as a senior marketing director. How, what did you do in your past to get to this point in your career? Sure. I worked for Compassion International and Compassion Canada for 13 years. So that's where a lot of the bulk of my career was spent. Um, I started out there uh, working with their team of international photojournalists, um, doing a lot of coaching on writing and photography, Um, And then I moved into doing some writing and editing myself um, on marketing teams. And most recently, I was the managing editor for the Compassion International blog. Um, And so I always just had a huge heart for uh, people living in poverty. And at the same time, I knew about the issue of human trafficking and wanted to find ways to get more involved um, in the fight against it. So Um, I knew about the Exodus Road for a number of years and um, was familiar with the the founders of the organization. And so when this opportunity came up, um, it was a really good fit for me. And I've been here for still in my first year with them, but really loving it. 
Awesome. So was Compassion doing anything within the human trafficking space that kind of got your heart um, not excited would probably not be the good word, but broken <laughs> over the issue of human trafficking and kind of started pushing you in this direction of finding a place like the Exodus Road to call home? Yeah, a lot of the work um, Compassion does focuses on the prevention side. So it's more in the communities that might be um, have vulnerable um, communities that are at risk mm. uh, for being recruited by human traffickers. So a lot of their work really focuses on that, um, helping them learn about the the tactics recruiters use, um, what their rights are. I got to work on a really... Um, interesting story that was focused in Thailand, um, which was focused on giving rural hill tribe people identification papers. So a lot of them have rights and citizenship, but due to illiteracy, not speaking Thai, um, they don't always know the rights that they have. Um, And so Compassion worked on a project that um, helped them get identification. So I got to cover that story, which is a huge factor in preventing human trafficking um, because people who are undocumented migrants are one of the biggest um, targets for human traffickers. Mm. And just helping them understand the laws that do exist that they can work within to, to keep yeah, safe exactly. and, mm-hmm. and find justice within whatever's happened to them in that situation. Yeah. Cool. Um, Awesome. Well, man, you have quite the experience. And then offline, you mentioned that you've written a book too. Can you talk about Hope Lives a little bit? Sure. So I wrote the book Hope Lives um, in 2008, um, partnered with Compassion International. And it really focuses on helping Christians um, gain a a biblical worldview of poverty and how we are called to respond as Christians. Um, growing up, I didn't necessarily receive that education on how many verses there were that really focused on the issues of poverty. And so the purpose of the book, it's a five-week study that equips people in an approachable um, way to knowing how they can also um, start getting involved and start making a difference in their communities um, and around the world. Mm, that's awesome. Man, you're a wealth of knowledge and, and experience. This is this is so cool. Um, I want to focus our attention on storytelling today, and and specifically storytelling with dignity. Um, that's a topic that we had talked about offline that um, kind of excited me. And and so, <clears throat> um, before we get into that, I want to hear from you why you think storytelling is so important. Like we've we've established it on previous episodes in this show. And obviously there's an understanding within the marketing space in general, that storytelling is important, but um, to you, why is storytelling so important? And why is it so important that we are ethical in our storytelling practices within, um, within the specifically maybe the nonprofit sector? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think stories are central to the human experience They're what we remember most. They're what we share with other people when we're sitting across from them um, drinking coffee. Um, Stories are life. They're how we create meaning out of our human experience. And often in ministries or organizations, we can get so caught up on, you know, what our three-part program or plan is. Mm -hmm. And when it really comes down to it, what connects with people on a personal, emotional level is the stories of how people's lives are being changed, um, what we're learning. 
um, what our experiences are. So um, yeah, I've been in marketing for a really long time and that whole time really has been focused on marketing through stories um, because it's just the most meaningful and impactful way, I think, to do it. And when it comes to marketing for nonprofits or ministries, um, doing it in an ethical way is always so important because um, I don't think anybody sets out to storytell in an unethical way. You know, it's not what any of us are necessarily trying to do, but it is very easy when you are a marketer or someone who's trying to fund your ministry um, to, to learn about a story and be like, Ooh, I can use this to, you know, get people excited to give. And it almost um, dehumanizes the story into a tool that we're going to use and manipulate in order to get people to, to donate. And uh, that's just really easy to do. So I think as storytellers, we always have to pause and remember these are real human stories um, Mm -hmm. that need to be treated with dignity and honor um, rather than just being used and manipulated to serve our own ends. Yeah, absolutely. Now uh, in your time with um, compassion and now with uh, the Exodus road, did you find that just organizationally, has it been difficult to um, find that balance between the organization wanting to talk about the strategies and the models and the solutions to the problems that they are, they exist to solve, like wanting to communicate those things, the statistics, the data behind their cause um, versus communicating primarily and first and foremost through story. Has that, has that been a struggle within your career to, to, move organizations and specifically in their marketing to focus on story first? You know, I think most people really realize that in my experience at both organizations, people know this, they, they know that stories are what connect us, but it's still just such an easy impulse to move to programmatic language. Mm. Um, You know, when we're talking about what we do to, to talk like a almost a robot, you know, with programmatic language rather than a human telling a story. So I think the intent, um, in my experience, is almost always really good. Um, but it's just this weird default we have to kind of, um, yeah, dehumanize what we're talking about by getting too bogged down in um, our model, basically. Yeah. I love that what you said that storytelling is central to the human experience, right? That um, I believe because we are created by a creator in his image, right? The Imago Dei that one storytelling is, is a characteristic of the God that we serve, right? He Mm -hmm. primarily chose to speak to us through his word, which is a collection of stories um, he's hardwired us to engage with and be inspired by story. Like, um, like you said, that's how we interact with one another. When we're sitting at, at the coffee table with somebody and, and sharing our stories, that's how we relate to one another. That's how we connect. That's how we engage with others. And so um, it's such a important piece to the human experience, like you said. And yet when it comes to marketing, what I've seen within the mar- the ministry space specifically is that again, yeah, like you said, there's this um, almost a 
default that we want to talk about our strategies and our and our models and our data and our statistics behind whatever we're trying to solve. And uh, it's so easy to go and fall back into that um, practice and not communicate the stories of how God's transforming life through our organizations. And those are the things that are going to inspire. Not that we don't communicate those strategies and those models and and the statistics behind, um, you know, for in, in your instance, the, the the statistics behind human trafficking is is terrifying, right? Like mm-hmm. those things need to be communicated. We need to see the severity of the problem, um, but we first need to engage at an emotional level, and then we can support those things by the statistics, the data, the strategies, the models, um, and, exactly. and those things can be supporting characters in in that. So, man, it's such a you're right. Storytelling is, is so crucial and such an important part of the human experience. And uh, it's, we need to remember that when we're communicating with, with anyone, like that's, that's so, it's such an important piece to marketing yeah. well. And I think sometimes it, it depends on your audience, what they're most interested in, right? So sometimes it might be, will you have a real data driven major donor who just wants all the all the numbers. But at the same time, if you include that storytelling, mm-hmm. it, it is going to make a difference. And then there, you might at the same time have, you know, someone who isn't a major donor, just an ordinary Joe, and they need that big picture of the statistics, but you know, the story is what's just always going to bring it to life. So you always need the different components and almost like a recipe, you mix them up, you know, in different ways. Yeah. Um, each is vital. Um, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and it, it brings it down to like, for instance, the human trafficking, what the, I don't, I can't remember the numbers, but like something crazy, like 640 million people are, are enslaved or oppressed in some way, shape or form, right? Something like that. Yeah, so it's um, 40.3 million people are in conditions of modern day slavery around the world. And so with that astronomical number, right, mm-hmm. that, I can hear that number and go, man, that's, that's overwhelming. I don't know what I can do. But when I can, when I hear a story of a single individual whose life has been transformed by say the Exodus roads work, and then you support that with, there's another 40.3 million people who are experiencing something similar to this. Now I can, I can put a face to that number and I go, hey, I can do something about helping one person. And it, it brings it down to a, a ground level that I can comprehend. Yeah, exactly. Because it is important to understand the scope of the problem. So people don't just think, oh, well, human trafficking, that's kind of a niche issue. Or, you know, slavery really doesn't exist anymore. The reality is, no, this is a very real, very serious issue. It's the third largest um criminal or illegal enterprise in the world after drugs and weapons. Um, Mm. So it's a very real serious problem. But of course, if we only hear that, that's very defeating and overwhelming. And so when you hear the the story of the individual and you realize it's not a number, it's a person um, with real thoughts and desires and hopes, um, it it humanizes that issue so that um, we, we are able to connect with it in a meaningful way. Yeah. So what are some of the ways that you've seen storytelling maybe done poorly? 
I think the biggest one that comes to mind for me, uh, particularly in a nonprofit space, is um, kind of falling back on the hero story. Um, so we all cultures over all time love stories about heroes. Um, you know, we love to read about a brave, strong person who comes in and saves other people and saves the day. It just resonates us with us so deeply. Um, but what can happen in nonprofit work, and I think sometimes in ministry work as well, is um, that hero story is a very simple story. It has a hero. It has a simple villain usually, and it has a victim who's being saved. And so very often what happens is the donors or the organization is positioned as the hero. Um, and then the people you, you are intending to help um, is positioned as the victim. And the problem with this kind of storytelling is that it's way oversimplified. Most problems are much more complex than that. There aren't si simple victims um, or simple villains or usually simple heroes. Um, it's much more complex than that. Um, when we position the people we're trying to help as victims, it's dishonoring to them and it's also disempowering. And most of the time, our, our goal is to empower people. Um, but at the same time, we often tell stories that actively disempower them by portraying them as helpless um, receivers of action rather than being brave, being resourceful. Um, and so I think that's that's one of the hardest things to balance as a storyteller for a nonprofit is not to fall back on this familiar, familiar hero story. Um, it works. It does motivate people to donate when you can say, you're the hero. And I don't know how many times I've gone to nonprofit marketing conferences or, or listened to different talks where they say, always make the donor the hero um, because it works. But in all honesty, even if it works, it might not be good. Mm. So what would be, what would you recommend the alternative to that would be? Yeah. So the way that I like to think of it is that the person who you are trying to help should always be the main character in their own story. Um, they shouldn't be the supporting character that's there to support the hero. Rather, they should be the hero. And that can of course be challenging uh, depending on the situation you're in. But um, when you do that, when you position the the beneficiary or whatever you want to call them as the hero, you're considering things from their perspective. You're considering what strengths and resources they're bringing to their own story. Um, and you're more accurately, I think, portraying the role of your organization um, no organization is the center of any beneficiary's life. And if they are, there's probably a problem there. <laughs> um, and so it, I think it's just a more accurate and a more compelling story. Um, I also think with um, younger generations, this becomes more and more important because they are very aware of this issue and how storytelling has been done poorly in this way in the past. Um and so as we're moving forward as marketers um, or leaders of organizations, it's something we really have to have top of mind. Mm. And so within that, within that solution, are you still following the hero's journey? If, if the beneficiary is the hero in that story, then there's a 
hero structure to that story, right? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's really challenging depending on what the story is. So in my current context at the Exodus Road, we are telling stories of people who have been removed from situations of human trafficking. But at the same time, because of the sensitive nature of um, what they've experienced, the abuse they've experienced, it's not like we are interviewing people um, at the time of uh, when their traffickers are arrested. You know, they need to go Mm. through a long process, a years long process of um, understanding, gaining counseling, um, receiving trauma informed care for their abuse. And so very often we actually don't have access to those parts of the story um, that would make it meaningful. Um, The story we do have is actually people who are intervening, um, who are investigating human trafficking crime. And so it's just very important to always um, keep this ethos top of mind, thinking through, am I writing this in such a way that's disempowering this woman or this child? Um, who's been in human trafficking, or am I writing it in a way that gives them dignity, um, that gives them worth, um, that portrays them as a human and not solely as a victim or even primarily as a victim? So you guys are sometimes telling the story uh, before they've gone through that that trauma care process, whatever that process looks like for the Exodus Road. I, maybe that would be helpful to walk through first? Like what's your post care process look like? And then. Yeah. So in um, a lot of the work that the Exodus road does focuses on um, the investigation of a human trafficking crime and then partnering with law enforcement, (coughs) excuse me, to um, do raids or operations mm. where the um, women and children are being removed from those situations and the traffickers are being arrested. So in most of the countries where we work or in all of them, um, those people um, who have been victims of this crime are then taken um, into government custody and are usually placed um, in a government aftercare um, home or program. And so just because of the nature of that situation, um, you know, we aren't, like I said, interviewing, of course, we're not interviewing women when they're first um, in that situation, situation of abuse. Um, and then we do partner with other um, organizations um, that do provide that long-term aftercare. Um, but they're not necessarily the same women um, always who were in those operations that were rescued, if that makes sense. Mm. So, so back to that original question, are you waiting till they've gone through that post-care process to tell the story? Or sometimes there's instances where you're telling the story immediately following some type of rescue. Yeah. So in most cases, we're telling the story immediately after rescue. Okay. And so what we're relying on are those reports, the investigative reports, um, rather than interviews with the women. In 2021, we are actually, it's very exciting. We're opening um, an aftercare program in Thailand where women will be able to go to receive um, long-term trauma-informed care. And so in some of those um, situations, um, we might, you know, after the women have finished the program, be able to tell their story, um, but we're not at that point yet. Gotcha. 
Well, does, yeah, does that make it difficult to tell the story? It's like, even just from a permission standpoint from the, for example, if it's a woman that's been rescued out of trafficking to tell her story without like with her permission, is that difficult Mm -hmm. when it hasn't, maybe that story hasn't been fully fleshed out because she hasn't gone through that post-care process? Mm -hmm. So we actually just, um, me and the marketing team went through a process of really setting out what our guidelines are for sharing these stories and how and when we will. And so because Hmm. the vast majority of when we're storytelling is these rescue operations or raid operations, we follow a lot of guidelines to ensure that we are um, respecting the privacy of these women. Hmm. So we'll never share their name. We'll never share their photo. And we um, include details that won't make it locatable. So we wouldn't ever include specifics about location. So we have information such as this woman was trafficked from Bangladesh into India um, under false pretenses that she would have a job um, as um, a domestic worker. And instead she's being forced to work in a brothel. Um, So we can share a lot of that side of the story um, but we'll, we won't have a lot of personal details um, of those women. Mm. So you, uh, on purpose, r- keep it pretty vague, even if mm-hmm. you could for security reasons, if, if there was no security reasons to keep those things private, you would still keep them private just for the sake of that, yes. taking care of that woman's story. Yes, exactly. That's awesome. Um, let's transition a little bit. Uh, there's, such a demand for storytelling content, right? We've all heard it said content is king and every organization is doing their best to break through the noise um, in digital specifically to be relevant and heard, right? How can organizations develop successful content strategies uh, without exploiting people's stories? How can, mm-hmm. how can they move towards s- communication and storytelling at scale, while not exploiting those stories. Yeah. So as I'm approaching stories, what I try to do is think of myself um, not as a marketer who's trying to get a great story that everyone will read, but rather I put myself in the position of the person who's ingesting the story. So thinking through, well, what would I watch? What would I read? What would I click on? Um, Because, I think in the past, we assumed we had a captive audience, um, especially in, if it's a ministry that's been around a long time. You you did kind of used to have a captive audience. You'd send a print newsletter and they'd sit down and they'd read it at home. Um, and so your approach was very different than now. Um, nobody has to read your story. You have to compel them to read it, right? And so um, you always have to be thinking through, well, what would catch my interest? What would I be curious about? What's the story I would want to hear? Uh, not so that we can be clickbaity, but just so that we can um, be realistic. Um, we might think that everything we're doing is fascinating, but it's not necessarily to everybody who's out there. So trying to really think about what will get people's interest and then balancing that out, um, really putting yourself in the place of the person you're writing about. Um, so as I talked about before, not seeing people's stories as a tool to be used and manipulated, mm-hmm. but thinking through, okay, if this was me that I was writing about, or if this was my child that I was writing about, 
how would I want it presented? What would I want shared? Um, what would I not want shared? Um, what are the things if I've written something going back over it and saying, is there anything here that's pricking my conscience? And if so, I probably need to pay a little attention to that and make some Mm. changes. Now you mentioned that you guys just went through this process at the Exodus road on, on setting out some guidelines. Are are there some general rules? Can you, can you highlight some of those general rules that you guys follow as you enter into the storytelling process Mm -hmm. uh, and, and maybe go out into the field looking for stories to tell on behalf of your organization? Yeah. So um, as I said, if it's in a, a case where we don't have consent to share that woman's story, because at the time of her rescue, she's not in a state to give informed consent. Um, we would always um, have an anonymous story. Um, we wouldn't show photos, even blurred. We're moving away from doing that. Um not sharing her name, not sharing identifiable um, imagery. And then if we were sharing a story of someone um, who is, um, you know, has been past the the point of rescue and going through aftercare, it would be ensuring um, they have an understanding of what happened to them. They've gone through a process of counseling um, and that they fully understand how their story is going to be used and then would also give permission, you know, to read through that story and approve how it's used. That's one difference. I think um, one of the biggest difference with journalism versus uh, storytelling for a nonprofit or ministry is journalists don't let you see their story before they publish it. Right. <laughs> you can be interviewed by them and then they write it and they publish it. Um, and we really try to turn that around it on its head. So where if we're writing about you, you always get to see, you know, what we're going to say about you and you can approve that or say, Hey, I didn't like how you used this word. Um, so that I think, um, is an important part of the process. Oh, interesting. So that's a thing that you check off your list before you publish any story that goes out from the Exodus road is, is the person whose story is being told has read it and checked off on it and said, yeah, this is, this sounds good. And is in alignment with my experience. Well, not in in the case of those rescues, like I mentioned, we don't have the ability to do that because those women are in government aftercare programs. But if there were a different type of story we were telling, yes, that would be part of the process. Like one of the, uh, like a story that might focus on someone who's gone through and completed that post post care process and is Mm -hmm. back in society and not, still going through the post-trauma stuff. Yes. That's that's something I try to do as a writer. Um, and it, it can be hard because it, I'm thinking of past experiences, but, you know, often um, there's room isn't made for that in the publishing um, timelines. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily standard practice, um, but I just think as a human, it's the right thing to do. So it's something I always try to, um, do when I'm, when I'm, when I've interviewed anybody. Mm, that's good. Now, where have you maybe seen storytelling done well in the nonprofit sector? Like what are some places or resources that you follow or, or pay attention to and say, man, they just, they hit the nail on the head every single time that the, our listeners can go, Hey, I'd like to go listen and follow along and learn from maybe some of you organizations that you have learned from. Yeah, you, you know, I'm biased because I worked there, but I do really appreciate how Compassion International 
um, handle storytelling when it comes to presenting children in poverty. Um, In, I think, uh, you know, last century, the images that we saw and the stories that we saw told about children living in extreme poverty um, were often very raw but also weren't necessarily very dignifying um, mm. to the children in those those um, places. And I think a lot of organizations, including Compassion, really grew um, to where championing the child is really one of their highest um, uh, goods in their storytelling. Um, and so I was really honored to work there for a long time. I think you can look at a lot of the work they do. For example, Ryan Johnson, who I know you had on the podcast earlier, the videos he puts together, that's always um, the way he's going to storytell is thinking, how can I champion these children and make them the hero and show them with dignity and respect um, and an empowered light. Um, And so I think that's a great place to check out. Well, I think it's always a good question to ask ourselves when we're telling these stories. Is this story edifying and uplifting and encouraging to the person that uh, whose story is being told or do those three things not get checked off? And if not, then we might want to revisit how, what our images are telling, um, what our videos, what stories our video is telling, not just, not just the narrative, but like visual elements. What is this communicating? Cause the visual might not align with, you might have a narrative that, that is uplifting and edifying and, and yet the visuals don't line up with that narrative mm-hmm. or vice versa. So yeah. Um, those are always good things to ask and, and check off your list before you make anything publicly um, shared. Yeah. And, you know, I think we oftentimes know just in our gut, we have mm-hmm. an intuition. Um, and so if you ever have like that little niggling thought or feeling that, ah, uh, you know, there's maybe just something off with my story. I I think, you know, go back and revise it because- mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, you'll regret it if you if you don't if you take the the easy way out of a story. Uh, maybe it's really um, compelling, and so you want to keep it in there. But long term, you'll probably regret it. Yeah. Well, Amber, this has been super helpful and insightful. Can I pray for you real quick in the Exodus Road? Yeah. Father, I just lift up Amber and her team at uh, the Exodus Road. I pray that you would just go before this organization and continue to do amazing work through this. Um, this nonprofit, I pray for Amber and and um, her team that you would give clarity and guidance as they tell stories well. That um, that you would guide and lead them in in communicating the stories of your transformation through these women and children's lives and families' lives that have been rescued out of trafficking in some way, shape, or form. Lord, that they would be edified and uplifted and encouraged, and um, that you would be glorified. Lord, I thank you for Amber's heart and and her willingness to um, serve in this way. And uh, I just pray that you bless her for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amber, thanks so much for being on the show. If uh, people want to get a hold of you or learn more about what you guys are doing at the Exodus Road, how can they do so? Yeah, I would love for you to check out theexodusroad.com um, or follow us on social media at the Exodus Road. Awesome. Well, thanks so much again for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in our process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.